Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This podcast contains spoilers about the series WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, and the film Black Widow, and only Uatu the Watcher knows what else. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. So, you have been warned. And now, Extra Vision. Hello! And welcome to the debut episode of X-Ray Vision, the crooked podcast where we discuss all the happenings in the various nooks and crannies of nerd culture. Joining me today, he's a writer on Rick and Morty, on the upcoming She-Hulk show. He's one of our regular rotating hosts and incredible flex for my guy on Amazing Spider-Man <laughs> issues 79 and 80. Find them at your local comic shop in a month and a half. The great and talented Cody Ziggler. Ziggler, how are you? Uh, I am great. First of all, thank you, King, for that intro. I love to hear it. I love to see it. I love when I get gassed up at 1230 on a, on a, on a Thursday afternoon. I love, I love all of it, man. How are we doing? How are we living over here? Uh, we're living pretty well. I got to say, and just to gas you up even further, um, the apartment is coming together, not just oh, from the content you. that you're putting out on the social media feeds, but I can see it live <laughs> in the zoom behind you. It looks, it's looking uh, you know, great and it's looking thank clean. You. Thank you. I got this here couch set up. Um, I got my little bar cart Hell yeah. uh, right here. You know, it, it's slowly becoming from a dirt bag, uh, bachelor pad to just a normal bachelor pad. So like we're, we're, we're thriving over here in historic Filipino town. Oh, I absolutely love it. And the people love it. And the community's happy to have you as part of, as, as their neighbor. Yeah. The skunks have welcomed me in. Uh, I'm now one of them. I'm one of their own. Uh, let's go to previously on our news segment. Uh, first up, uh, the the good people at Disney and Lucasfilm announced Star Wars Visions and dropped the mm-hmm. trailer for Star Wars Visions, an anthology series featuring nine short films produced by seven of the top Japanese anime studios around, including production ig of ghost in the shell fame it arrives on disney plus september 22nd mm-hmm. um this trailer had me so unbelievably excited <laughs> i was so hyped it's like if you could distill down every single thing that i love that brings joy to my heart yes. it's lightsabers and like fast-paced nigh incomprehensible anime f- shown in fight Please. scenes i want all of it injected directly into my vein I, and i also love that they're like you know what actually grievous was kind of an anime character now let's actually do it with this <laughs> a multi-armed lightsaber wielding jedi yes. person i am it looks so unbelievably good and as uh lucasfilm producer josh rhyme said uh each studio has different styles and different tones and that really came through mm-hmm. in the trailer like each yeah, yeah. little each little snippet from each little uh short film has Mm-hmm. its own vibe it was it's so it, exciting. it's it's so it's one of my favorite i mean they haven't done those in a while like i always love those like um like it's like anthology anime series used to watch like uh, i think something circus was one i remember watching in the 80s but it was like a, just a like four or five different shorts all from like the top directors at the time doing stuff and like this is something that i haven't seen in a very long time and i'm so stoked that they're just like taking these giant swings on disney or i guess disney plus yeah. but like lucasfilm is like yeah we're gonna like this were based off samurai films yeah like, let's go back to like 
to, to, to our, like the thing that, that sort of kickstarted all this stuff and like just give Studio Trigger a, yeah. a carte blanche to, to make the wildest thing they want to possibly make. Uh, it's it's so, so fun. Asian representation immediately increases yeah. by about 30,000% in the Star Wars <laughs> universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it honestly looks so fun. You're the, I mean, you know a lot more about anime than I do. What are your, like, what are your touchstone um, pieces of of oh boy story. I mean, I hope you have 40, 45 so minutes. I'm going to yell directly about them. Uh, uh, Dragon Ball Z is. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, the, that's the, the go. Yeah. That's the one yeah. that got me into it. As soon as as Toonami dropped when I was like twelve, I was like, all right, this is going to be my personality for the rest of my life. All right, this is it. It's done. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I got that. You know, Cowboy Bebop, yeah. just a great mix of like all the weird genre stuff, and then it's like, oh, they also are like it's like an X Files right, every right. week where they do a yeah. new weird thing. And, and and then I got I gotta hold it down for Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, I cannot. I would be remiss if I didn't mention my giant love for Mechs. Uh, if I've asked about the anime, uh, so like there's like my three favorite series, but like like just the animation. Yeah. Like I I just like I loved Ava. Like I just watched the last Ava, and like no spoilers about the movie, but like the animation is fantastic. And like one of my favorite things about animation is that like you can do so yeah. much with it. Like they have like the 2D stuff, they have the 3D stuff, they have like live action with like animation mixed over it and like i love when like studios get to like let loose because i think from a west from a western perspective we're used to like you know bob's burgers simpsons like very like stripped down and like so you see when you get things like primal or even like the 2d original clone wars series and they they just fucking go all out for animation you're like oh wow yeah this is it, it, this is what I want. This is interesting. It's nice getting that that, that the, you know that shot of of nitrous and in, into like our, our our cinematic viewing when it comes to animations. I'm so I'm so over the moon for this. I cannot wait. I hope they get 800 million seasons of this, and this is something that comes out every year. <laughs> it feels like a thing that kind of obviously it's in some form or fashion like a test run, but like yeah. this is going to hit. Yeah, like I I've never been more convinced that a thing will hit like there will there's a built-in audience that is gonna snort this yeah stock is at an all-time high for weeb nonsense (laughs) and this is exactly what what we need right now yeah the spider-man trailer dropped after 24 (laughs) hours in which uh, someone associated with the vfx uh production maybe leaked Mm. a video of a phone that was playing the trailer, uh, that person has probably been sniped by Kevin Feige and their body has yep. been uh, shipped to a black site somewhere. But let's talk <laughs> about it because the, uh, the the trailer was super exciting and has a lot of people talking. And, man, I just can't believe, like, the audacity to be like, let's do one more day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enormous swing on their part. No it's one saw like- it coming. <laughs> Like, like I, I've been in that building and like I didn't see that one coming. I was like, oh, this multiverse stuff, great. I did not see they picked the one, the most divisive Spider-Man story and be like, you know what, we're gonna make this uh, great. So let's. Uh, so let me add some context here. One more day yeah. in the wake of Civil War. Um, uh, Civil War, the storyline uh, in which Spider-Man's identity is revealed in mm-hmm. one of the great like shock cliffhanger pages like in recent marvel history his mm-hmm. spider-man unmasks tony stark standing behind him uh and one more day was it like kind of attempt to deal with the fallout from that obviously mm-hmm. spider-man had uh, guarded his secret identity quite closely and all mm-hmm. his enemies are like oh it's open season on peter parker now so how do we deal with this so uh one way they dealt with it was uh 
make a deal with Mephisto, literally the devil, the Marvel's mm-hmm. version of the devil, to erase this from happening in exchange for uh, Peter and Mary Jane's uh, marriage breaking marriage. up. Yeah, this was then recontextualized again by Joe Casada as kind of like Doctor Strange getting involved and making everybody forget. Uh, and they're just doing it, man. It's wild. Mm-hmm. They're doing this shit. Uh, you, as you mentioned, extremely divisive. Yeah, I, I, I love that one. There, This is the one, like, this is the character that they got back probably the latest, I'd say. Like, I mean, I guess Fantastic Four, but, like, in the cultural, like, phase three and four, like, Spidey is, like, the yeah. last one they got back. And not only yeah. is, is it the one that they got back, they're beating everyone to the punch with doing the first multiverse movie. Like, Justice League attempted it, um, and I'm sure they feel a little undercut now that they know that they're doing the Flash one that has... Yes all the different Batmans, but like this is the one that I'm personally most stoked about. Like I love that they were finally being like, all right, it opens up so many doors. It's like, all right, besides just like Sony shit, like does it mean that like Fox stuff that they yes. now have, can they get in? Like uh, can the Netflix people, like is is is, is Punisher <laughs> right. going to show up in court? Like who, what's going to happen? I mean, it feels like, uh, you know, X-Men on deck, but so but pretty much this is confirmed, right? We're going to see, Alfred Molina's in the trailer, so he's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Major villain from uh, the original Spider-Man movies. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to see the Green Goblin. We see a pumpkin bomb in there. We see mm-hmm. the the fallout from what we imagine is an attack by Electro, and we see mm-hmm. like the silhouette of the Sandman, seeming like he's protecting Peter, actually. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Vulture already mm-hmm. in the movies, so we've basically got the Sinister Six on deck. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. This is wild. Now, in the <laughs> comics, Peter only beats the Sinister Six two ways. The first way is the Sinister Six are legitimately fucking morons. And <laughs> yeah. they're yeah. like, yo, let's – I know we got together, all six of us, but let's attack Peter one by one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> like, it's big, like, final kung fu fight energy. Like, all right, we're going to take this guy on one at a time. He's going to kick us in the face, and then then we're going to be defeated. Yeah, it, it's, they never really stick the landing when it comes to beating Peter Parker. So that's the one way. And then the second way is he gets back up. Now, Strange, Doctor Strange in the movie, uh, doing Doctor Strange shit, doing typical Doctor mm-hmm. Strange, uh, I'm kind of a scumbag, <laughs> egomaniac yeah, uh, let shit. Me, let me fuck up the whole status quo for you real <laughs> let quick. Let me just fuck my up arrogance. the whole set. Right, yeah. and it's not even like... I'm helping Peter. It's more like Wong told me not to do it, so I'm gonna fucking do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, all right, I'm not. I, I, all right, I give you a mulligan on the time. Fool me once, I messed up with the time stone. <laughs> right, right. Second time, I can do multiverse. That I got locked in the bag. I got it, King. They must like divert him somehow, right? Like yeah, midway through to. the movie, he has to go away because he's too OP. Like as bad. Yeah. Like he would just like snap his fingers, and then all the six just go to like some hell dimension. Yeah, I, I'm imagining like he's gonna get sucked aside pretty quick, but he's like he's a guy that can like do his little gang signs and just makes Black Ox arms disappear. Like I'm, I'm, I'm imagining he's gonna get sucked away, and then like we'll see what happens with him in the Multiverse of Madness, Doctor yes. Strange's second movie, and like that'll explain everything. Because yeah, he'd be embarrassing everybody on that Sinister Six real quick. It'd be it'd be a one act movie. It'd be in and out. You know, it'd be very yeah. short. Now, let me ask you, people. Like, there's a lot of ever since WandaVision, it's a lot of like Mephisto. Uh, yeah, Mephisto, I, I, Mephisto, Mephisto. I don't. And people are like, man, is this the real strange? Is he Mephisto? He's why would he be this reckless? Yeah. Like Doctor Strange, not in the comics, is a reckless guy. His character mm-hmm. loop is basically 
um, oh, let me fool with this demonic shit to get something done. And then, mm-hmm. oh, no, the fallout from the demonic shit. And then finally, I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to fuck with the demonic shit anymore. And, <laughs> yeah. then, and then the cycle begins unless. again. But unless, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, notably, you know, in World War Hulk, he, like, drinks yeah. the vial of Zom in order to deal <laughs> with the Hulk and then has to deal with the whole fallout from, like, being possessed by Zom for a while. Mm-hmm. But, like, in the movies, the ancient one is, like, Stephen, don't, like, steal books, don't fuck with time, <laughs> don't do all that shit. And then Stephen's like, I'm going to do it anyway, and then mm-hmm. succeeds. Like, he learned yeah. the exact opposite lesson of what everybody told him to. So now, yeah. <laughs> when it comes time to push the envelope, Doctor Strange is 100% going to push the envelope, and and Wong's warning not to do it is not going to do anything. <laughs> Yeah, like his big his biggest character moment this thus far was giving Thanos the time stone. He was like, "Hey, trust me, it's going to work out in the end. It's going to take a couple of years to get there, but trust me, we're going to stick the landing, even though everyone told him not to do it." So, like that's that's really built into his cinematic character quality. Like that's his arc as being an arrogant asshole. Now, some fun little tidbits from the trailer as Peter is being interrogated by Stewie from Succession. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't you, well, you don't see the bottle of Coke right under his, his, his gun holster. <laughs> We see that Stewie belongs to an agency called the DODC, the Department of Damage Control, which is Mm -hmm. a public-private partnership between Stark Industries and the government to basically, like, clean up damage. It's one of the great, like, Tony Stark is actually one of the biggest pieces of shit in the Marvel Universe. (laughs) He has figured out a way to monetize the destruction that he himself is responsible for. He puts money back in his own pocket whenever he boots up a new Iron Man suit. It's great. Yo, I love it. You know, no notes. It's, it's, you no know, notes at all. It's absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Let's see what else. Uh, we have uh, MJ and Peter chilling on the roof of mm-hmm. Midtown School of Science and Technology with MJ, which is with MJ kind of making a reference to Jessica Drew, a.k.a. Spider-Woman, mm-hmm. who will be in Into the Spider-Verse 2, played by Issa Rae, of course, not a, a Marvel movie. Yeah. Uh, we see the black Spider-Man uniform, which mm-hmm. uh, is... How did, I can't wait for him to pop this one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also, I can never trust these trailers because... With the yes. remember with the end game trailers, like they just fully threw in characters that just weren't not dressed the same. So like, I'm like, is that actually in the movie? Is it going to be something different? Like, are they just going to use their crack VFX team to put another suit on them, or, or what the deal is? A hundred percent. Like, there's a there's a part of this trailer where uh, Peter is talking to someone who is in a car. Mm-hmm. That person looks to be completely like photoshopped in over somebody <laughs> else. Like, who is? <laughs> Who is Peter actually talking to? That is the yeah. question because that is 100% not going to be who he's talking to. <laughs> the big theory is that in addition to the Sony villains mm-hmm. definitely being in this, will we see the previous spider dudes? Will we see Andrew Garfield? Um, mm. Could we also possibly see Charlie Cox from Daredevil uh, aligning the Netflix um, Marvel multiverses? That has not been confirmed at all. Mm-hmm. But what do you think, Spider Ham? Could we see Spider? Could we see <laughs> Spider Ham in here? Yeah, we're going to see Nor Spider Man. He's going to s- swing through, deliver a couple yeah. of downbeat jokes, and, and swing out. I uh, I don't know. I can only guess. With the multiverse, they have carte blanche, and it seems like yeah. since they basically own everything Marvel site except for Sony stuff, except you know outside of the deal that they just worked out with them, 
I feel like you can do anything. Like I would love to I mean they're in New York. Like I'm I'm part of me is wondering if like they're gonna use this as like, you know, our universe, like, oh, we have depowered Jessica Jones, yeah. we have depowered um Power Man and yeah. maybe we'll maybe in this universe that we go to with Andrew Garfield, we'll see, oh, there's like the actual powered version of of you know whoever character is in it like maybe that's how they're getting around that loophole because it seems like in true comic book fashion now they have an infinite blank check with an infinite amount of zeros that they can cash whenever they want to uh yeah this was uh super fun what is your wildest theory of of what oh. might possibly happen in this movie oh boy okay i think uh peter is going to get stuck in the sony verse like he's gonna be completely cut out from the MCU. He's gonna be stuck. He's gonna drop in. It's like a, a portal's gonna open up. He's gonna fall into like a a crab shack outside of San Francisco. Yeah. And we're gonna see Eddie Brock pull up on a motorcycle and be like, "You want to come with us?" And then like they're gonna ride I off into like that. the the sunset. That's my that's my wildest big swing pitch for like how they get around getting Peter back into the MCU. My wildest big swing pitch is Ultimate Universe, uh, Ultimate oh, Spider Man, Peter Parker. Spoiler like is grievously wounded taking out the Sinister Six. And mm -hmm. in the kind of like converging of multiverses, we get Miles Morales introduced into the MCU. Boy, if that, boy! If that happens, <laughs> boy, if the last 15 minutes I see a fucking black Puerto Rican kid pull off that oh mask, it's game over. I'm it's doing three laps over. around that theater. It's game over, B. You're never seeing me again. I'm done. Uh, I'm just going to be living that. I'm going to live at the, the Vista. It's going to be game over. Uh, cannot wait for this movie uh, will be released December 17th, 2021. See y'all there. Uh, and then finally, uh, seemingly responded to Bob Chapek's Shang-Chi's an interesting experiment comment. The uh, Disney CEO revealed on an investor call that Shang-Chi would only uh, appear in uh, theaters. It was not going to be streaming much like the, the Black Widow strategy of mm -hmm. a few weeks back. Um, and then he characterized that kind of rollout as an interesting experiment. Uh, the Shang-Chi star fired back on social media, writing in mm. part, quote, we are not an experiment. We are the underdog. We are underestimated. We are the ceiling breakers. It ended there. Clearly, like all sides decided, OK, yeah. that's enough. Go to your corners and let's launch this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, that, that screams like one of those things where like even with the best context, it's one of those things yeah. of, like maybe you just shouldn't have said that out loud yeah. or you should not right, have right. left the confines of whatever Zoom call you had. Yes, it's not going like, to do anything but poison the, the, the goodwill. 100%. Just like, let's uh, be as careful as we can as we launch this film. Um, yeah. uh, speaking of Shang-Chi, so the premiere was here in Hollywood uh, at the, you know, up on Hollywood Boulevard at the El Capitan and the uh, the famous Man Chinese Theater. Yep. And okay, so this is a story I told on social media, and I'm going to tell it here now to give it the full context, okay? <laughs> I received an email saying, hey, you've been confirmed invited for, and I'll admit, it does say in the subject line, the, the Shang-Chi <laughs> premiere, okay? And then it was a whole lot of text about stuff with like, and it's one of those PR emails where like certain things are highlighted to yeah. let you know it's important because mm -hmm. there's so much text. Yeah. And most of the stuff that was highlighted was like, what time to arrive, where to go so that you can check in. I thought, and again, I just scanned the email. This is 100% my fault. I thought, okay, this is just like a screening or it's one of those screenings that happens in parallel with the premiere when rise of Skywalker launched. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. There was like the premiere and they had screenings that were going on at the same time across the street. And you didn't 
have to walk the red carpet to get your credential to go into like the press screening, all that stuff. And just knee jerk, I assumed it was that. And then I uh, invited my friend, Sean, right. And I, I forwarded him the email. Here's where you got to go. He didn't flag anything. So I show up at Hollywood and orange Mm -hmm. and I'm in black workout (laughs) shorts uh, a black hard boiled t shirt, the the uh the John Woo movie hard boiled, mm-hmm. uh a black like uh baseball cap. I got a little uh man bag, it's from t- uh Tomorrowland, who's a Japanese brand. Mm-hmm. And then I'm wearing and this is the toughest part, admittedly, <laughs> and I'm wearing Adidas slides, no socks. Uh I, and <laughs> go ahead, I, please. I just I mean I said this under the tweet, but Drip God, Drip God, Jason came through. You killed the game. I love it. Like I love, I love the casualness of it. I love that you made a statement. I got no notes. I would. I think every premiere should be this. I appreciate it. And the the slides were the toughest part, not only because it's like no socks on the red carpet and slides, but it was like these are the slides I wear to like go run get the mail. Like they're not, they're not in good shape. You know what I mean? Like they're not doing great. They seem some miles. They seem some stuff. Yeah. The the tread is worn down on those, <laughs> and then my friend Sean was in like Birkin like Birkenstock clogs, mm-hmm. white socks. This actually kind of very comfortable like Uniqlo like wool blend like cotton. Oh pants. yeah, 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 yeah. And then an A twenty four t shirt like a studio, <laughs> not the studio releasing a movie that day. <laughs> we get there, and so we're waiting at Will Call, and we go in. And we we got, you know, presented our credentials, got all our stuff, showed our vaccination status, et cetera, got our things, and then realized that the only way to go, like, security was set up in such a way that we had to walk the red carpet to get to the movie. <laughs> and so I go in, and the first person, like, right to my left is, like, Benedict Wong. People are taking mm-hmm. pictures of him. He's right there. I look up on the platform, like, maybe 20 feet away is Simu Liu being interviewed. Like, we're walking there, and yeah. we look like dog shit. <laughs> now, I want to say that it was both not as bad and kind of worse than it seems through social media in mm-hmm. the sense that it was not as bad. It was not as bad because nobody paid any, any attention. Nobody like noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were cosplayers there. Nobody cared. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know how it is like LA fashion rules are that the person who's dressed down the most is like the richest person, uh, most important person. I was about to say, yeah. So you lucked yeah. out because of streetwear. Like right. you came through, like right. the, 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 you're, what I'm, what I'm, I'm looking at the picture like right now on my giant yeah. widescreen. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this guy is so comfortable. He's his, what the subtext is like, this ain't no big deal because we're going to get six more of these beautiful movies from Shang-Chi, baby. So it's all good. We, we're just rolling through That's it. Right. I love it. I love the casual energy. That's right. So, but on the other hand, it was worse in that. I mean, we were right there. Like, I walked by Ben Kingsley. Like, it was, and then we get inside the theater, and they're streaming uh, the presentation, like uh, you know, the red carpet stuff, directly to the screen. Mm-hmm. So I could see, I could imagine what we looked like walking <laughs> in the background of like these yeah. shots, and I was like, "Yo, this was." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone would definitely. Oh, that's got to be the director. He's like a Taika. He's got like a chill, like low, low key vibe. Like that. Someone was. You. You you probably got some brownie points in that. In that end. So like glass half full. I think. I think. I think you played the right card. Honestly, I would have pulled up in the exact same fit. To be honest with you, like short shorts, (laughs) thighs out. uh, Maybe some movies on. You know. Let's go. Let's 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 go take on an adventure. Well, the lesson is, folks, just read your emails thoroughly. (laughs) That's all. Read them all the way through. Yeah. 
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, welcome to the airlock. This is the segment where we uh, discuss uh, whatever it is, the subjects that we are uh, exploring in this particular episode. And for this episode, the debut episode of Extra Vision, we're talking about the Disney Plus shows and how they kind of like set the stage for what phase four is going to be. Mm-hmm. Looking over this stuff, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki, there were some really earth-shaking, canon-shaking reveals oh. and changes in all of these stories mm-hmm. that if people didn't check in to those uh, stories on on Disney Plus, as my friend Annie Greenwell says, then they're going to be like, wait, why? Is, so there's a multiverse now? Mm-hmm. Wait, hold on. Like, the uh, Super Soldier program was bad, actually? Uh, so mm-hmm. let's unpack that stuff and just yeah. talk about what uh, what our favorite and we think most earth-shaking changes are. And I think this is just, like, really smart strategic storytelling on the part of uh, these showrunners, which is there's no kind of – there's none of these stories – are gonna are are something you can check out on if you want to stay up to date on the stuff because yeah. everything is gonna have mm-hmm. something in it that really changes the paradigm. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, we're obviously about to get into it, but like it's what they have captured. I mean, I'm look the calls come from inside the house. I'm in a huge stand. Right, right, yeah, I yeah. love I love all this shit. Uh, I'm a, I'm a company man through and through, so like I'm very biased. But like what I love that they've been able to capture, particularly with Phase Four, is the I like whenever you read a comic, if you're a comic book fan, like the status quo is reset often and with great temerity and i think something that's really captured with this is like like you're saying like all right yeah uh everything that we knew about the super soldier program is actually bad uh it's not a good yes. thing it's, it's, it's caused a lot of pain and suffering to people across the world also yes. the big reveal is that like oh, hey the multiverse exists baby uh so like we can have yeah, stories yeah, right. <laughs> we can have any, any story that we want to tell we can now tell uh, and anything that we want to re- uh, retcon we can retcon or we can put things into it and like now, if you want to see like Alligator Loki, you know, let's pop in for I, an episode of Alligator Loki. It's going to be completely fine because we have an infinite number of universes to, to dive through into that. Alligator Loki will be back. I've never been more sure of anything <laughs> that Alligator Loki will. We're going to get Pet Avengers at some oh, point with oh, Lockjaw hmm. and Alligator Loki and, uh, and others. Thor Frog, yeah. Yes, all of them are going to be here. Uh, Rocket Raccoon, that's kind of below him, I guess. Uh, yeah. Let's start with WandaVision, mm-hmm. uh, which came out in January of 2021. Strange things afoot in Westview, New Jersey, an idyllic suburban town where Vision and Wanda Maximoff have made their home. But of mm-hmm. course, everything is not as it seems. Uh, their family grows quickly as Tommy and Billy are born. Uh, but there are a lot of other weird and mysterious mm-hmm. and magical events that are taking place. This was based on uh, Vision and the Scarlet Witch Volumes 1 and 2 from the 80s, which is a, a four-issue and a 12-issue limited series, respectively, and West Coast Avengers 45 to 52, mm-hmm. which is first appearance of the White Vision and the revelation that, spoiler, 
Wanda's kids are not real. Big air quotes there. So, you know, the biggest thing for me with how this show changed the Marvel Universe is we've, with Disney's acquisition of 20th Century Fox, there's been yeah. a lot of, like, how will the mutants happen? Yeah. Um, how will the X-Men happen? I think that, you know, the recent Eternals trailer gives us yet another avenue for how the X-Men might happen. But mm -hmm. um, this was, you know, in the Marvel Universe to date, you got powers either by science experiment, mm -hmm. science accident, Yep. Um, you are a god, and, you know, basically that's it. Um, yeah. What what we got here in uh, in WandaVision is the seeming hint that Wanda was born with her powers. Now, mm -hmm. uh, could does that make her a mutant? Does is that a magical thing? We don't know. But in that flashback where we saw uh, her parents' apartment get bombed, mm -hmm. it is heavily suggested that she used yeah. her hex powers in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, all these three shows hit. Three different, very sli different slices of the Marvel, uh, the Marvel overarching universe. We have yeah. Mystic, High Strangeness Marvel. We have yeah. Espionage, Military Marvel, and then my personal favorite, Cosmic Marvel. And what really, yeah, yeah. what I really loved most about One Division, like you're saying, is that like it's sort of a mix of all three in a very fun, organic way. Like I think you want it was originally supposed to come out second, from what I remember. So like yeah. it could being the first out of the gate where we have like we have like we have a deep dive into like what the sort of what the rules of like magic are in this universe because we didn't really yes. get it that much in Doctor Strange just like he does his hand things and whatever it seems like only one <laughs> it seems like really only like one sect of people can learn yeah. magic and that's them but then you're like oh there's there's different there's different gangs <laughs> different magic gangs running through these streets right now we got Agatha <laughs> we got Wanda yeah. and I love that but I also love the introduction of like you know we have sword is like said on screen like physically yeah. it's not just like Nick Fury hanging out with scrolls in space, assumingly yeah. like it's we get all that, and then we have like the cosmic era, the cosmic of it all, with like she's like astral projecting towards the end, and like yeah. she's like gearing up and all that fun weird stuff that like to me it's the perfect distillation of like what a straight up comic book is and what it feels like. We're like we have this weird high concept premise. Um, all right, we have yeah. Vision and Wanda have a family, uh, and we're gonna inject that with like some TV version of it by having it meta. Like well, they take place in different um, sitcoms I throughout every. I love all yeah. that, and I also love that like they really held out for like the big Marvel of it all, but, like the big you know set piece fights towards the end. And like by that point, like we actually care about these characters. Like you know they've been in like six movies or whatever, but like we didn't really sit down and be like, oh, I I, I like that Vision has a sense of humor. Like I like that he's funny like we don't get to see that side yeah. of it in most of these movies and like i like that wanda has a personality like she's funny in her own unique way i and like i buy their love like i when like they end when like you know she's erasing resetting reality or whatever sending it back to yeah. the world and like they, like they had that that final kiss i'm like oh i get this i <laughs> i am completely invested in the vision which is something i never would have said if i like halfway through a silver war you're like you're gonna cry when vision dies again i like yeah it's there's like no that, way yeah then no, no. get out of here uh, there's also like a really, um, there's something really interesting about the way it, it, the statement it kind of makes about like how powerful certain like mm -hmm. desires are yeah. in the American subconscious. Like mm -hmm. they're like, so usually a superhero story is someone gets powers or their powers awaken and they step into this new world and have these amazing adventures out in this strange place. Like Vision and Wanda have done that. They have their powers. Mm -hmm. But what they want is just like be normal. Like the yeah. next adventure to them is 
a house in the suburbs yep. and let's have a family. And it speaks to the power of that desire and how universal it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's on every sitcom, as you noted, like it's on every, it's in every movie, every story you read is some version of this kind of let's go out someplace and get like a, a one and a half, you know, baths and three bedroom <laughs> house and like have a family. Yeah. Um, and the other part of it is we also learned like a, a really cool secret power that Vision had is an ability to buy a house without anybody <laughs> having any idea. Like this guy, I I don't know where he got the money. Like uh, did he sell a piece of his fingernail, like vibrate yeah. and get like $2 million in, vi- in I, money like for vibrating? Like how did he yeah. do this? I love the idea of him going to a bank to get a loan and then entering into <laughs> escrow to buy a house in New Jersey. <laughs> like, and no one's like, hey, remember that time that giant dude floated down from on high to like buy right, a plot and- of land? He had no ID. He yeah. was like, uh, <laughs> apparently he was born three and a half years ago, but yeah. appeared to be like a middle-aged man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely bizarre, but he had the money. Yeah. Like how, th- that was... <laughs> He was the only dude that Tony was paying when they were on the uh, the New Avengers. That's the only one. They're like either you or, or you you or or, or Falcon. He's like, I'm sorry, I, you got to go with you, man. Yeah, sorry, no money for you. Yeah, but like, but but Vision can buy a house. Yeah, yeah. I guess like when you don't have to eat or buy clothes, <laughs> yeah, his, yeah. like you do, you save a lot. Yeah, he's not paying for gas. Yeah, he ain't eating nothing. Right. Yeah, he can fly. He he can float where he needs to. Yeah, he's good. He's probably got no doors on the house too. So like before, because he could just like step through things and like you know we got a lot of entryways. Yeah, he's got he's got it. Some other things we learned uh, are that something about Wanda's powers, she creates this um, hex sphere that changes the reality of everything that's happening inside. Um, and Monica Rambeau goes inside of it uh, and comes out with the powers that we think will lead to her becoming a uh, spectrum. spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, and so this raises the possibility that now we have – uh, along with being born with powers, yet another way that you can be powered up, which is you come into contact with Wanda's magic, yeah. and all of a sudden you have these abilities, which is a, a tremendous thing. They also used Wanda's energies to power up Vision in his in mm-hmm. his white Vision form. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see what comes out of this if we do get some like tertiary characters that like yeah maybe they're not mutants or they're not inhumans, but like this is like right. their their version of what that would be. Right, all those people that were inside, like, what happened to them? Did mm-hmm. it? Did they, were their cells mutated as well? It's like it is. It's certainly on the table. Also, sword. Uh, we get our first uh, a glimpse of sword, and we get to see how they work. They are the sentient. I love Marvel acronyms; are <laughs> the freaking best. It's honestly the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are the sentient weapons observation and response division. <laughs> how long did it take them, by the way, to just be sit there? Okay, like how do we? Yeah, uh, was, I love it. When they, yeah, I love it because they have hammer too in the comics, and like they just they yeah. just never address what hammer is. Like we came <laughs> up with never, the name yeah, first. <laughs> we're we're going to fix this later, and they just never address what hammer could possibly stand for. My favorite thing also, like, is post, like, I don't know if you read Nick Fury vs. S.H.I.E.L.D. It's like an 80s um, limited series where Mm -hmm. Nick finds out that, like, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. is basically all a Hydra plot. Like, a lot of Captain America Winter Soldier was was based on this. Mm -hmm. And and so they they dismantle S.H.I.E.L.D. and then they rebuild it. But also as shield, but then they just change like what all the what all the acronym words are. So they're like, yeah, let's new, let's turn the page. Yeah. We need a new start. We're, uh, what are we going to call it? We're also going to call it shield, but like yeah. we're just going to change the entire acronym. We, we already have the shirt, so like we're, those are pretty locked yeah, like, in. 
we already have the yeah, merch. Like, so. I got the pens. I don't want to get a new mouse pad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come on. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a rebranding. We'll be good. Shield 2.0. But I think one of the um, a thing that I am really interested in is so uh, sentient weapons observation and response division. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like the uh, director. Uh, uh, Tyler Hayward was like super invested in examining mm-hmm. vision, his body, understanding how it works. I think that there's a world in which this is like the MCU precursor to the Sentinel program. Like this oh, is the start of it. Wow. Yeah. I didn't this even think is about the that. First yeah. Thing. Yeah. I could see this that. Is, this is how, this is how it begins. And then Hayward loses control of the white vision, but mm-hmm. like all the, the, data that they got from examining him leads them to like kickstart the actual sentinel mm-hmm. program that's a th- I, I don't know if it's a theory or something that seems pretty obvious or whatever but that's a thing that i've been thinking well about you a know lot. a good a thing that i also love about marvel is that like you can they will leave uh they'll leave something dangling for years and never pick it up for years and years and years yeah it's yeah. like I, I think everything is an offering to them so like i yeah. would be super into that's how they they backdoor into the the Sentinel program and like that's like a, a, a uh, you know if Wanda is the original mutant or like she's like the precursor for starting the mutants it seems like an easy in for how we get get those guys set up to like fight each other. Yeah, that's uh, you mentioned that it's something I've noticed too, and if I've as I've seen like more people writers with like improv backgrounds go into comics, mm-hmm. it kind of like philosophically makes sense because a lot of it is this like oh there's this like yes that has been dangled yeah. for years and now you someone comes in and just goes i'm gonna take that i'm gonna run with it yeah and make another thing off that yeah i mean that's the, the truly freeing thing about comics is that i mean it, it is daunting in that you have 60 years of 60 70 years yeah. of like lore to deal from but it's also like yeah this issue this person said he ducked left under a fight and then like you know what six years later i'm gonna pay that off and tell you exactly why he <laughs> always ducks left when he's into a fight um we let's see. Oh, we got our first appearance of Agatha Harkness mm-hmm. in WandaVision, a nigh immortal witch, powerful magic user. She tells us uh, that Wanda is this fabled and previously thought to be legendary, super uber ultra witch the named the witch. Scarlet Witch. And we get that, yeah, we get that first uh, first mention of her actual codename, Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we get uh, the appearances of. Billy and Tommy in the comics as Wiccan and Speed. They are in yep. WandaVision in their Wiccan and Speed yep. costumes, which Doing was absolutely thrilling. Yeah. Uh, setting the stage for, we can only assume, the appearance of the Young Avengers yeah. at some point. I mean, uh, they're all there. They're all like, they're all laid they're out. They're all there. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Uh, the only person they're missing is, I think, is Hulkling, right? And, and I'm sure they're, there's got to be a scroll hanging out there somewhere they can they can. Scoop Hulkling up. is it. They've already got uh, Kate Bishop, we know, mm-hmm. is coming. Uh, uh, stature. Uh, S- stature is yeah. there. Is mm-hmm. is like already in the universe. Kid Loki. Um, Kid Loki, yeah. uh, like, just appeared in the yeah. in the Loki series. And then uh, Miss America. Yeah. We, we understand is going to be in Doctor Strange. So mm-hmm. that team is there. Uh, super excited about that. Um, let's move on to Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I thought this is so for me. The the least satisfying in terms of like execution as a story, but yeah. I give them heavy, heavy, a heavy pass because COVID like absolutely wrecked their production schedule. Yeah. Like you could tell that Julia Louis Dreyfus was on set for an hour yeah. and that she might have done her own makeup and hair, like and might have come in her own clothes. Yeah, this is the one that screamed the most like 
we were supp- we were supposed to be led up by Black Widow, and then that just right. did not happen for a year and a half. So like, she right. shows up. You're like, I feel like there was a scene in another movie where that gave me context for like what this person because she had like in in Falcon and Winter Soldier, she had like ticks and stuff that she was doing like here's like my card yeah. just the card with its blink or whatever i'm like that seems like a joke that was set up in something else that was supposed to come out that did not quite pay off uh for this uh i i will i i sort of had the same thoughts i also will say that espionage marvel is the one that i am the least i've always been the least mm. like super tapped into but like yeah i've i've never been super into spice i've always been like give me give me big cosmic gods or give me yeah. give me someone green like that's always been a thing that i've been super into give me someone <laughs> give green. me someone green gamora Anybody green. yeah gamora yeah. she hulk drax i'll take anyone I'm, I'm open to all of them but i i do enjoy what they did status quo wise um i'm oh, a huge, huge fan of isaiah bradley i've always been a huge fan of patriot yes, as same. well two of my favorite characters and i love that they worked him into this and i love that they also again set up for young avengers um and I love that as I love that this is also this is the first show that's introduced the concept of like legacy characters uh, in Marvel, as far that, as I yeah. know. We're like, all right, the literal passing of the shield to to yeah. to uh, to Falcon. Uh, and then, like, of course, and, in, in, you know, it's going to set up for all these other things. We're like, all right, we have to reset. We can't do uh, yeah. old Hawkeye anymore. We need to have young Hawkeye. Right. And I'm assuming the same thing is going to be happening to the rest of these series. So, like that was my big takeaway that I'm like, oh, great. Now we're fully cocked into eighth gear running running head first into like comic book bill which i'm all for i am all for it as well so quick recap in the aftermath of the blip uh sam wilson the falcon and bucky barnes aka the winter soldier face off against a super soldier serum enhanced terrorist group led by uh the passionate flag smasher carly morgenthau uh sam rejects captain america's shield thinking should stand in a museum only to find it into the hands of uh the very aggressive John Walker, uh, <laughs> who quickly becomes powered up yeah. on his own. And really the big paradigm shift and is a massive, massive, massive like recontextualization of Marvel lore mm-hmm. is um, we get the storyline based on Truth, Red, White, and Black by Robert Morales and yep. Kyle Baker in which we discovered that the super soldier program did not stop with Captain America, did mm-hmm. not stop with the destruction of all the, the serum. Uh, it, in fact, continued and that various uh, black soldiers, black American soldiers were injected with various experimental forms of the mm-hmm. super, soldiers, uh, super soldier serum. Many of them, if not hundreds of them, died in horrific fashion as a direct result mm-hmm. of that serum. And that the uh, the one success story, if you could call it that, the black Captain America, uh, Isaiah Bradley, uh, was then uh, court-martialed mm-hmm. and imprisoned after doing the exact same thing that Steve Rogers does in, the first, <laughs> in Captain America the First Avengers. Mm-hmm. His, his uh, friend's unit gets captured, um, and he knows that the army just plans to like bomb the base. Mm-hmm. So he goes in on his own rogue mission and rescues all of them. Steve Rogers became Captain America yep. and became like the paragon of American virtue and strength. Mm-hmm. And uh, Isaiah Bradley was thrown into like a dark cell at some military black site somewhere where he was kept for decades yeah. and tortured and experimented on. This is a, it, I mean, it's it's a huge thing. And yeah. shouts to Carl Lumbly, who is just you can't take your eyes off. Yeah. He's captivating. He's captivating. And like, he's like one of those, like he's sort of got from the same school, like Viola Davis, like you want to see them in pain. Like they want to see their character in pain. 
they do paint yeah. so well. Uh, I one of the uh, this is just like a side from that, but like what I do like about them introducing the content of like imprisoning these you know black yeah. super soldiers that like for it opens like one of my personal favorite characters is like Blue Marvel and like his whole thing was oh, that, I love like, Blue Marvel, like yeah. he was he was asked like he was like one of the first like super superpowers like guys like yo I can I can wreck everything yeah. if you guys look at me yeah. the wrong way and they were like you know what we don't need a black Superman so like we're just gonna like make you like basically retire. In, right. in the 60s and like i love that that opened up the door for that character because i'm a super huge fan of blue marvel and like i love that this would possibly leave you a back door and like was he one of those super soldier guys too that like he was asked to like step down or he was the the nuclear thing fell into the toaster and he got zapped into the negative zone <laughs> yeah. or whatever like i love that what it sets up status quo wise for going forward when it comes to marvel same and it, and it adds a layer of complexity too mm-hmm. because that's kind of like i, I want to say more of a uh i guess more of a dc thing this this idea of Actually, the government and the military are like unambiguously bad. They're doing <laughs> bad shit all the time. Yeah. And Superman either doesn't know about it or, or like is kept in the dark about it. Mm-hmm. And it's only through the actions of like quasi uh, criminal heroes that like any of this stuff gets exposed. Uh, Marvel kind of like toes that line where it's like, yes. The Sentinel program was supported by the U.S. military, (laughs) and it is an absolute project of the United States government. But also, and yes, like the Sentinels wiped out like several million mutants on the island of Genosha. But also, like Captain America was not involved in that, and the president didn't know, (laughs) and the Secretary of Defense probably didn't know. Like it was total rogue operation. Yeah, they're never explicit. Like the most explicit is like you know Winter Soldier's like you know what she was actually full of Nazis the entire time, and we do have a master. Kill list that incorporates people from Tony Stark to just like regular surgeons. That's on ours. But like, I like this is the first time they're they're like, you know what? The government actually a cab. Like maybe they are a little bit a cab. They're they're not. Guess what? Guess what? It it wasn't good. Like like Erskine was was definitely an outlier in that group. Yeah. Um. We get our first appearance of Madripoor, which is the oligarchical, quasi-lawless Asian city-state, which is based on Singapore, uh, which, despite its location, curiously devoid of Asians in this uh, storytelling, but that's fine. Uh, We find out that Sharon Carter, uh, Agent 13 in the comics, Mm -hmm. a a quite often a a love interest of Steve Rogers, uh, has remade herself as the power broker, a... uh, basically a criminal mastermind mm-hmm. who is going to deal super soldier serum on the black market. Uh, we get the first appearance of John Walker, AKA U uh, S agent, my boy, uh, created my, <laughs> the fascist captain America <laughs> named as uh, Steve Rogers, official replacement. Of course he takes uh, super soldier serum just like on his own, just like injects it into his own butt. <laughs> and then we get the first appearance of the Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, Julia Louis Dreyfus again on set for an hour. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, she appears to be, I, I would, you know, at the events of Black Widow show, the stinger at the end of Black Widow, mm. suggests that she's putting together like a Thunderbolt yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. Dark Avengers squad with U.S. agent, with Yelena, mm-hmm. and who knows who else. And of course, uh, we get our first uh, glimpse of Elijah Bradley, who in the comics is uh, the Patriot, yeah. Isaiah's, Isaiah Bradley's grandson, mm-hmm. uh, and another member of the young avengers 
this is the show I think that I'm mo- it's sort of like that connective tissue in like phase two where it's like we got to get yeah. the Avengers together is basically what I sort of yeah. felt from this for I mean if, whatever like that's not a, a condemnation or anything but like I'm most excited about like you said like what this Thunderbolts is going to look like that was my big takeaway yeah. from this like I love what they're to possibly do the Thunderbolts I also want to just I want to honestly just want to see more of like what Isaiah Bradley is doing like in, in Patriot are doing. for like, sure that to me is like the most emotionally rich soil that like I want to plant a little little nerd tree in and see what what sprouts out of it they so that's episode five Mm -hmm. of this series is where you get the whole download on on what was going on with um the the super soldier program Mm -hmm. post captain america uh and what happened with uh, isaiah bradley they went extremely hard in the paint like (laughs) i did not think that they were gonna go that hard and i was actually like fuck yeah they yeah shouts to malcolm smellman Mm -hmm. uh, showrunner but it was like straight up like uh (laughs) like (laughs) isaiah bradley says like no self-respecting black man would not would yield the shield it was like holy shit we're doing it yeah we're going (laughs) he basically called him a cornball brother he he really did how you feel about that king (laughs) (laughs) i was i was I was uh, surprised, and I was really kind of proud of of Marvel for going yeah. there and going that hard with it, having that kind of conversation mm-hmm. in that context on a Disney Plus show. Because yeah. uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna explore that kind of subject matter in that kind of way, you kind of have to have that. Somebody has to have that conversation. Yeah, I mean, everyone's been thinking. Well, everyone that's you know not a straight white guy has been thinking that the yeah. entire time. You're like, you're really gonna put the stars and bars across your chest? Like that seems a little. Yeah. I don't know about that one, King. Like I don't know about that one. Let's, yeah. let's, let's run the tape back and see how, how, how the U.S. government. Clock on that one <laughs> but, like, I, I like that they called it out but i'm also very curious to see like what 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 roadie what um what wilson's sam's gonna be doing now that yeah. like he's like he sort of seems that he's like pulled himself up by his bootstraps to use a very bad yeah. in and but like his whole thing was like i'm i'm just doing it for family like i'm doing this like get right. back on my own so like i'm wondering if like going forward if it's going to be like you know like you know winter soldier were Steve learns that he's just been a tool for the government. Like now yeah. that he's free of that, like what's he going to be doing? Is he going to be like forming his own sort of like team or, or what's he going to be doing? Like, how's he going to be saving the world or, or putting like, who's he going to be fighting? I'm very curious to see like what he's doing. Same, absolutely. Uh, same kind of vibe. Also, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, Steve, we're out of our heroes. Now will be operating. We might assume out from under the umbrella of, Tony Stark's incredible wealth. Yeah. So like, like in the comics, like in the, in the Sam Wilson, Captain America comics where Sam's out there and he like sets up a 1-800 number <laughs> and he's doing stuff like on it. It's much more ground level. Mm-hmm. Like he's not sure where the money's coming from. Like he has, a, you know, he has like the Marvel version of like a Patreon, like if you need Captain America, you know, hit me up. <laughs> Like, are we going to see Sam doing stuff independently on mm-hmm. his own? And what does that mean in terms of like, you know, like his ability to get, you know, take care of his his weaponry, his suits, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like, is he just going to be doing it on his own dime or how? That is fascinating to me. And that's kind yeah. of like Marvel DNA, too, is mm-hmm. like, you know, Marvel heroes worrying about where the rent's going to come from. Yeah, you know, I, that makes me curious. This is a complete wild pitch, but I wonder if that becomes yeah. like their version of heroes for hire. It's him and Bucky yeah. or whoever, like getting a call on like the 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 Falcon <laughs> phone and being like, all right, we need to go yeah. bust up some guys in lower East Manhattan or whatever. And that's how we're taking care of the boat this week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and next up, most recently, is uh, Loki, the series Loki. 
after the events of the Avengers and the time heist in spring 2012, Loki is he escapes into the uh, timeline. He is captured by the TVA. Uh, and there he discovers that not only are there multiple versions of himself through multiple versions of the timeline that he knows, but reality and time itself are just like way, 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 way weirder <laughs> than he could have ever imagined. And this one, it is like a colossal flex that just like yeah. on the final episode of like Loki on Disney Plus, Marvel's just like, okay, we've changed the universe completely yeah all the stuff that happened in phase one two three actually like was kind of had maybe theoretically have happened like countless times before mm -hmm. and kind of was like the outcome was never in doubt and now <laughs> the real shit started. like now yeah. is when the actual stuff is happening. yeah now the stakes are i mean walter yeah. put his foot all up in this thing is that yeah, i did i love that like you're saying like the final episode like we're not going to get people fighting it's going to be it's going to be 25 minutes of three Classically trained, fantastic actors acting the shit yeah. out of a scene, and the blocking is Jonathan Majors eats an apple and sits weird on a chair. Like that's it. That's the most action that happens <laughs> as you give a huge download and retcon of like everything you've experienced up to this point for the past twenty something movies uh, of Marvel. I, I love it. Like they suck the landing. This has everything that I love about cosmic Marvel. It's weird out the gate. Yes, uh, you can see the DNA of of Rick and Morty. Mike Waldron, the showrunner, was a Rick and Morty scribe forever, um, uh, and I think he's like number two tom coffin was another rick and morty person so like when you see these weird things like when they have like oh here's ice giant loki here's yeah. uh tour de france yeah. loki here's whatever like all that weird stuff that you would see in like reading those like big galactic cosmic comic books they captured that beautifully uh and this is just another small detail that also made me love it well like when they're stuck on like the at the end of existence or whatever and they're in like the loki base and they're panning down to the dirt and it's like a little loki trapped in like a little jar i'm yeah. like that's 100 percent weird comic book that someone draws in like one panel that like yes. yeah, the, the people will take a screen cap on and then like it never referenced again like this show for me is like the perfect distillation of like what a weird fun comic book tv show adaptation should be and like i cannot wait to see more uh of more of this because now there's stakes like like you say like they reset the new status quo for like what's going to be happening in the marvel universes going forward yeah the thing the thing that has always like gripped me about comics from the first time i started reading them was just like the the complete boundless energy mm -hmm. of the things that you could see like yeah. crazy aliens that you would never expect like weird world stuff happening on like in the past that's yeah. also happening in the future like huge monsters that live under the ocean like there's there was no limit to it and this loki really it, it went there mm -hmm. like as much as you could go there on television you mentioned michael waldron and the and the connections to rick and morty there was like some fun some real fun like it felt like direct references. <laughs> there was in the finale, um, Jonathan Majors as as Kang slash Immortus, whoever, yeah. uh, says something like, oh, "What does he say?" He says like, "Oh yes, uh, you know, we're supposed to uh, enter into an adventure mm -hmm. and emerge forever changed." Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is like a direct <laughs> reference to the you know the famed Dan Harmon yeah. story circle, yeah. which is how he designs many of his stories. <laughs> yeah. About a hero like entering a new world, yeah. etc. Well, he had my, and it my, felt like a callback. Yeah, it felt like a, a, it had to one hundred percent to shout it. My favorite line in that also the exact same scene is like we're we're crossing the threshold. Like he just blatantly says it. it. I'm like, oh, you can just say that. Like that's how you can like get that in front of that. Like he just blatantly says it as they're like discovering that like the universe has now entered the point where 
he doesn't know what's going to happen. Like I loved all that stuff. It's the most fun to me. It's like the most fun, uh, a fun show I've seen from Marvel. And like, I think that is what the bar has been set at. And like, I think that's what everyone should be like pacing out match. Like it had to like hit the same beats obviously, but like something new and weird to like keep you refreshed. It felt like a very, it felt like a nice, um, a nice refreshing spritzer in what, in the superhero world. Yeah, and it's uh, so the big setup is the multiverse exists now. And so while um, in the TVA era, there was essentially one kind of big outcome that was cycling all the time. And while there were many, 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 mm-hmm. we should assume different timelines, they weren't technically infinite because they were always pruning these wild timelines that diverged too much mm-hmm. from the kind of central quote unquote 616 timeline. Yeah. Now it's all fractured. There's stuff all over the place. You have like uh, Peggy Carter is Captain America. Mm-hmm. You have T'Challa is uh, is picked up uh, by, by Yandu and beca- yeah, yeah, it becomes uh, becomes the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy. There's like all these kind of um, true multiversal worlds now, and that is you mentioned it previously. It's just it's given Marvel like the most powerful tool that you can have as mm-hmm. a storyteller, mm-hmm. which is like we can just bring anything we want in from any other world mm-hmm. zombies. We got it. Yep. Like you, you want to do mutants this way. We can do it this way. Mm-hmm. Just bring them, bring them right in. What about a clash of worlds where like two worlds actually smash together? Oh, and like, and the if, heroes they did incursions, world, they did, if they did incursions, gonna, game over. It feels like they're going to do it right. Because it, the, so incursions is for those that don't know, uh, is a sprawling Jonathan Hickman storyline about the collapse of the multiverse and the kind of, a desperate fight by a select and secret group of Mm -hmm. heroes on earth to allow earth to survive by destroying every other earth that crashes into it. That Mm -hmm. means they're destroying entire realities of other people. And, you know, in the, in the opening uh, cinematic of the finale of Loki, you Mm -hmm. see like these two worlds Mm kind of crashing and man, if they did it. Yeah. Oh boy, it would be I'm I'm literally getting goosebumps right now. It's like that's one of my. I mean, Hickman is is a comic writing god, but like that to me is like yeah. one of my absolute favorite series. I I hope that that's what the brilliant words because I they will have absolutely every single one of my sense for for the next <laughs> for the next three phases if that's what they're brilliant towards. Uh, so this series uh, introduced the TVA, which is the kind of like bureaucratic governmental agency yeah. that uh, that manages. Uh, the timeline. This is this comes directly from the pages of of Walt Simons' run on Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mobius was based on a you know beloved uh, Marvel editor and writer Mark Grunwald, who also uh, wrote uh, a lot of the material that ended up in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. And Mark, as an editor, was known as like the lore guy. Yeah. Like, if if you were a writer, you're writing something. You're like, hey, can I make a can I, can I make like a Spider Man loses job, and then you know Mark would go, you can't do that because like yep. uh, fifteen years ago Steve Ditko did this, and yada yada. Those are the so, glue guys of the comic book world. The glue guys <laughs> of the comic book world, yeah. and so it was a fun uh, little homage to him that he then becomes Mobius in the comics, mm-hmm. and then that character is now yeah. uh, on TV doing that exact same thing. We get the first appearance of Ravona Renslayer, who is uh, in the comics a love interest of Kang. We mm-hmm. get the first appearance of Sylvie, a Loki variant, whose uh, Nexus event still remains unknown. And then, of course, we get Kang, my boy, who is going to be basically like the Thanos of. 
I don't know, phase four. Like, so Thanos yeah. was the Thanos of phase one, two, three. Yeah. So will will Kang be like four, five, six? We don't know, but like he's the big bad right now. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I've, I mean, I don't know if they're how close they're sticking to comics, but like you know, right. The Fantastic Four is coming out at some point. Like, I'm assuming Woo! he's. I'm a, I mean, part of me is just like, does that mean we're gonna have a black Reed Richards? Like that's that's I honestly so. what I what I what I'm hoping for. I think so. Like that's on the that's heavily on the table. So we should let, let's quickly. Oh, like, see, sorry, I, my, I got tunnel vision. I'm sorry. Know. I'm sorry. We got we got to unpack it. So yeah, yeah. Kang, so the <laughs> Kang the Conqueror is actually several discrete characters. They're all the same mm. person at different stages of this person's extremely long life. Mm. They were born Nathaniel Richards, okay, mm. who is Reed Richards' father from another timeline who gets bored with how like peaceful everything is in mm-hmm. his timeline. He finds a time machine. He goes off. He becomes uh, the king of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Uh, and that's his Rama Tut kind of personality. Mm-hmm. The fantastic four tussle with him there. Mm-hmm. He goes back into the timeline, decides, you know what? Like Egypt is not enough. I want to conquer like all of time. He becomes King the conqueror. Now King the conqueror who manages to conquer all of the timelines and kill all the various versions of himself that he doesn't like, then gets like tired and kind of old and becomes this character, Amortis, who is more like a managerial type who like outsources the management of the timeline to Mm -hmm. these various subcontractors, including the TVA. Yeah. So really who we saw was Amortis. Yeah. But yes, as you noted, this raises the possibility that this character is... Reed Richards' dad. Mm-hmm. We could have a black Reed Richards, which fantastic. I love it. Yeah, we could. And I should add that means potentially like a black Doctor Doom as well, because yeah. in the there is also the suggestion that like Doctor Doom is a variant of one of mm-hmm. the Kang variants. I think he's. That's a long way of of us saying that. I think he's gonna be here for a while. Like Jonathan Majors yes. is one. He's like young, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So like he he his face screams, "I got ten of these in me." So like <laughs> I feel yeah. like I feel like he's gonna be here for a minute. And none of this works, by the way, if he's not. Yeah. Like go like putting up like fifty points, twenty rebounds, and twenty assists. <laughs> yeah. Like in, yeah. In, in forty-eight minutes of of like game, like he just like absolutely destroyed it i'm really excited and i will say that you know we, i was talking with our producer chris uh, before this and you know it, there is that uh, there's a little bit he was uh expressing a little bit of like feeling of dissatisfaction because it's like it, it's it's a it doesn't close like it yeah. keeps going like mm-hmm. there's this is like really this is like the one shot before secret wars like yeah. the road to secret wars kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah, like yeah, yeah. comic book but I guess, you know, this is just, again, like you you laid out your bias. I lay out mine. I'm a lifelong comic book fan whose brain has been melted by all of this <laughs> yeah. stuff for years and years and years. It That is just like a storytelling format that makes a lot of sense to me. That mm. is like, oh, yeah, of course it doesn't end here. Like we, I turn the page. They're on the last page. The person rips off the yep. hood and it's Kang or it's Ultron or it's whoever. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, well, I got, now I got to buy like yeah. five Yeah, and then you see like check out Kang. Out Kang Adventure continues yeah. in Masters of the Universe, number 74 or whatever, yeah. Uh, I'm excited about that. Welcome to The Omnibus. This is the segment where I will give us some historical context, some pop cultural context to the subjects that we are discussing during the episode. And for this episode, let's talk about Loki's history, both as a comic book character and as a figure in Norse myth. 
Loki on Disney Plus represents the continuation of a tale that has existed in popular storytelling traditions for over a thousand years, uh, which is incredibly cool, right? That's a, a super, super wild that we have currently in our pop culture a character who has just been running around for over a millennia. So as we think about Loki's evolution from bad guy to anti-hero and to perhaps by the time phase four really gets going, a flat out good guy, we should remember that the beginning of this tale isn't 2011's Thor or even 1962's Journey into Mystery 85, his official Marvel debut. It begins with poems composed as far back as the mid 800s AD. The events of Thor the Dark World, Thor Ragnarok, and Infinity War establish that Loki is capable of evolving for the better. But of course, the Loki of this show is not that Loki, as the events of Loki on Disney Plus have shown us. The multiverse exists, and there are various versions of the characters that we know and love inhabiting those various worlds. This Loki hasn't experienced his mother Frigga's death at the hands of Malekith and the Dark Elves. He never experienced the death of his father, Odin, fighting side by side with his brother against Hela. He hasn't witnessed the destruction of Asgard by Surtur or the scattering of the Asgardian people, their near destruction at the hands of Thanos, nor his own death by the hands of that mad titan. Making a hero out of this Loki is, or was, an audacious task. Marvel's The Avengers is nearly a decade old now, so you'd be forgiven for forgetting how evil Loki, charmingly portrayed by Tom Hiddleston, is in that film. He commits roughly a half dozen murders, give or take, within the first few minutes of appearing on screen. And when Loki takes hostages in Stuttgart, a German man who is old enough to have lived through World War II, compares Loki to Hitler. So basically, a guy stands up and says, from my personal experience with Hitler... You are Hitler. <laughs> in that film, Loki then straight up stabs Phil Coulson in the back. And okay, he didn't die then, uh, as uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s fans know. And of course, the last half hour of the Avengers movie is an extended reference to 9-11, with various buildings in Manhattan getting destroyed. Once again, the Avengers, which pulled in a billion and a half dollars, compares Loki to Hitler and Bin Laden, and now we watched Loki in Loki's very own show, and we're like, yeah, this guy's great. We like him. He's a hero. P.S. Somehow only 74 people were killed during Loki's Chitauri invasion per Colonel Thunderbolt Ross's briefing in Captain America Civil War. That is hard to believe. Uh, but shouts to the Avengers. They obviously did an incredible job. Loki the show, with less runway, sparks this turn from villain to hero, or at least anti-hero, by returning Loki to his folk mythology roots. The Loki of Norse mythology is a trickster, a prankster, who galvanizes the gods with his scheming, criticizes and sometimes mocks them with his words, and who is as much a force for progress and renewal as destruction. The Asgardians of Marvel comics and films, including Odin, Frigga, Thor, and Loki, come to us from Norse mythology, the pre-Christian belief system of the North Germanic peoples who came from Scandinavia, between the 9th and 11th centuries AD, including the famed raiders who we all know, known as the Vikings. Loki's historic origins are mysterious. The definitive source of the name Loki is elusive, but recent etymological research showing that Loki in medieval Iceland was used interchangeably with the old word for not uh, seems to suggest that the meaning of Loki's name was not 
or Tangle. This theory would seem to fit with Loki's role in Norse myth as the inventor of fishnets. A fascinating commonality of the trickster god myths from around the world is their link to fishing. In many Native American creation stories, it's the coyote who teaches humans how to catch salmon by making traps out of logs and branches. The raven in North Pacific Coast mythology created the fishhook and taught humans and spiders how to craft nets. As Lewis Hyde notes in his overview of the trickster archetype, Trickster Makes This World, quote, East and West, North and South, this is the oldest trick in the book. No trickster has ever been credited with inventing the potato peeler, the gas meter, or a tuning fork, but Trickster invents the fish trap. Most of what we know of Norse mythology comes from the prose Edda and the poetic Edda. The first is a collection of Norse poems that were compiled and probably to some extent written or adapted by an Icelandic politician, lawmaker, and history nerd with the delightful name Snorri Sturluson. Snorri Sturluson in or around the year 1220. The second is a collection of Icelandic poems. However, these are of unknown authorship. The prose Edda is thought to contain the oldest Norse poems, some possibly dating back to before the 10th century. Loki is nowhere to be found in two of the oldest sources in the poetic Edda. Likewise, Loki is absent from the early 13th century historian Saxo Grammaticus's work, Deeds of the Danes, which extensively discusses Norse mythology. Historian Emma Grunfeld writes on worldhistory.org that, quote, this might indicate that Loki was more of a regional feature rather than being omnipresent throughout the Germanic world. Indeed, sources on Loki are limited to the northern Germanic regions, and Loki himself has no direct parallel in broader Germanic mythology. In other words... Loki might be, I don't know, like Puatine or something like that, a, a local delicacy, but one that is renowned. Uh, Loki's role within Norse mythology is likewise unique. He is a trickster, he's fond of pranks, he creates mischief by reacting creatively to happenstance and fate. Not a hero, he's also not necessarily a bad guy. He is a foil, a kind of arch nemesis for the Norse gods and a reason for them to use their godly powers. He plays, of course, a similar role in the MCU, providing the catalyst for the Avengers to assemble. Sometimes, though, the gods need to be taken down a peg. Loki plays a subversive role in this belief system by openly criticizing and even mocking the gods for their various indiscretions, their moral failings, and their hypocrisies. He's able to criticize in part because of his essential nature, the child of a Jotun, a giant, the enemies of the gods. As part god and part giant, yet belonging to neither culture, Loki acts as a bridge, a point of convergence between two opposite and opposing worldviews. Loki is what happens when someone is made to feel that they don't belong. In the prose Edda, when Loki, after making a promise to a giant disguised as an eagle, lures Eden, the keeper of the fruits of immortality, out of Asgard, the gods begin to age and their powers go into decline. But before the gods pass away, gray and wrinkled, bringing an end to the entire world, Loki rescues Eden and turns her to Asgard, repairing the problem. And this is kind of like the essence of Loki's particular brand of mischief. He creates traps, which can often threaten existence itself. He then falls into the trap that he created, and then he solves them before too much harm is done. As Lewis Hyde points out in his book, Trickster Makes This World, despite the fact that Loki managed to avert his self-made crises, they, quote, nonetheless indicate Loki's potential as a cataclysmic change agent. We should do well to remember this as Loki is basically a good guy now, but he always retains this potential to blow up everything we know. 
Many researchers have noted that the Loki of Snorri Sturluson's prose Edda is more evil than his depiction in the poetic Edda. Snorri, a learned man of his time, was a Christian, and his Edda strives to bring the Norse myths into the context of a world in which Christianity is the one true religion. There's nobody in the Christian canon that really goes out of their way to roast Jesus Christ in the way that Loki roasts Thor and Odin in the Norse poems. Snorri's Loki becomes then Loki the liar, a stand-in for the Antichrist. In the prose Edda, Loki fulfills his apocalyptic potential by murdering Baldr the Brave, Baldr the uh, beloved son of Odin. The pure and good god of light, the son of Odin and Frigga, and the brother of Thor, Baldr is handsome and heroic and bright. And one day Baldr wakes up, haunted by dreams that he will come to harm. He shares these fears with his mother, and alarmed, Frigga then travels everywhere, across the heavens and the earths, to ask literally everything, animals, humans, rocks, water, air, everything, to swear not to harm her son Baldr. Once these promises are extracted, the gods have a party where they hurl various things at Baldr and watch with delight as each projectile falls harmlessly at his feet. And Loki watches this and he's annoyed. He hates it. It infuriates him, uh, which I find quite relatable, right? Baldur is this beautiful, powerful god. He is now totally invulnerable because his mother couldn't bear the thought of any harm possibly coming to him. And Loki is like, this guy has everything. And now he has this too? Aha. But wait. Driven by this... Annoyance and curiosity, Loki disguises an old woman, chats with Frigga, and discovers that Frigga cut a corner. She didn't get an oath from a certain species of bush which attaches itself to trees and retains its green throughout the winter called mistletoe. Loki runs off and finds some. He makes a little dart out of a sprig of mistletoe and convinces the god Hod to throw it at Baldur, and Hod does, and Baldur dies. A lot of terrible things happen after this, including the gods in their wrath, tying up uh, Loki with one of his children's intestines, which is aggressive. And eventually Ragnarok, of course, the death of the gods, followed in good time by the rebirth of the world. Marvel's decision to clothe Loki in green ever since his debut in 1962 is probably a function of the limited color palette available at the time of his debut in Journey into Mystery number 85. But whether by accident or not, the color was the perfect choice. Green evokes jealousy, one of the defining traits of Marvel's Loki's, always annoyed at how beloved Thor is. But on a deeper mythical level, the color calls back to Loki's most infamous weapon, the mistletoe. Just as Loki is the bridge linking the gods and the giants, mistletoe and evergreen links summer and winter, growth and desolation, life and death. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Wow. 
Welcome to The Hive Mind, our panel segment where we bring in some special guests to discuss a particular subject from this conversation. Now, so that we can dive deeper into the worlds of Phase 4 and other places and other universes, X-Ray Vision welcomes its very first guest panelist returning from a recent visit to the void. <laughs> he is my variant from the Greek multiverse. <laughs> The co-host of How Did This Get Made? Please welcome Jason Manzoukas. Jason, it's great to see Woo! you. Oh, there yeah! we go. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this. I last saw you on the Doughboys 24-hour stream in which uh, I showed feet and we broke <laughs> and we broke their, <laughs> we, their payment platform. They they had a they had a they were raising money for charity. Yes. We went on together. That's right. Um and we we demanded that the audience give money so much that, and they they listened and they 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 did it they they contributed in such large amounts they crashed the PayPal system yeah. for that charity fundraiser it was awesome it was an amazing <laughs> and we raised so much money you showed your feet i did show my so, feet so those are out there if you want to if you want to see them they're on, on wikifeet they're on wikifeet check it out you've all got a subscription so the thing i wanted to talk to y'all about today is has is is what we are seeing in these Disney Plus shows a kind of uh, new kind of storytelling? So in the uh, finale of Loki, uh, the final 30 minutes is the introduction of this character, Kang slash Immortus slash whoever. They don't tell you even the character's name. Tell you basically nothing about him except some exposition about how he came to be in this place. And it's – and much like – uh, the way Th uh, Thanos was introduced at the end of uh, Marvel's The Avengers, where it was just like, who's that? Um, Loki, the finale, just kind of said, here's this character. If you want to know more about him, please ask your nerd friends <laughs> or, or or read like screen rants, uh, Easter eggs you, you uh, didn't notice from Loki's finale or go on YouTube and watch any number of YouTube explainers or go on uh, you, wherever you get your podcast and listen to this podcast. Uh, people will explain it to you. We're not going to do that. We understand that. And we're just going to get on with the show. That was like a wild <laughs> move and flex to me. Mm. And it worked. Yeah. Oh, when you consider, I mean, to me, it is absolutely bananas. And I think we talked about this on a text chain we're on, Jason. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely bananas to me that one of the most significant moves yeah. in the MCU, which is one of the largest, most significant P, like IP kind of uh, uh, existing uh, franchise monoliths. Like the MCU is so big and so important and so significant and so woven into the fabric of pop culture at this point that they made a move that is so <laughs> yeah. titanically significant <laughs> and they made it in episode six know, of right? season <laughs> one of the TV show Loki. They did do that. Like, that is absolute lunacy, and it's so exciting to me because I feel like we were talking about this. There was a lot of, like, inside of the conversations around um, uh, WandaVision, yeah. mm -hmm. a lot of conversations about, like, oh, is Nightmare going to show right, up yeah. or is, uh, is Mephisto, this or yeah. that person? Yeah, Mephisto going to show up or any of these like big kind of really villains of that of the magic world. Are they going to show up in that? Da, da. And I feel like they really kind of gave us a good example of like, oh, no, that's not happening. This is the TV shows. And then 
they did it. It was almost like they lulled us into a false sense of security. Yeah. Because to to put to put Kang in not just and because you t- you say not you know like yes the Thanos teaser is just that it's like a post credit right. teaser. It's a, it's a yeah. teaser. Us, it's a teaser. This is you. They gave Jonathan Majors. A, like 30 minutes and just yeah. are like, okay, guys, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Do it yeah. up. Just act your ass off. And he demolished, he demolished it. it. It was, he demolished it was it. electric to watch him. It was it. so exciting. Um, and I say that as a fan, you know, as a fan of Kang and as a fan of this kind of storytelling and all of that. But even still, I was like, even to me, I was like, I cannot believe they're doing this. I cannot believe this. This is exciting that they're doing such a huge move buried into this TV show. Well, it works because, like, my mom knows who Thanos is. Like, my (laughs) 63-year-old black southern mom from North Carolina knows what the Infinity Gyms are strictly because of Marvel. So, like, the fact that, like, you know, like, you know, the parents are like two years behind. So the fact that in two years she can be like, that Kang fella is so handsome. Like, oh, that is yeah. mind boggling to me. But speaking to Jason's point, I think another thing that they've really cracked that Marvel has cracked is like they have a viewer to comic book reader pipeline now. Yeah. It's like piped in, like you're saying. Like, you wake up, you see the thing on comic book resources, you see the tweets on, on whatever. Like, you need to read these top five issues to see what yeah. Kang's all about to crack them wide open. Like, and now, like, you're going to go download the app or you're going to go to Comixology and like you're going to buy them because they're always like half off because no one's reading yeah. Kang comics until like he appears so like you're you're just like building like this you're like it's like a an, an infinite energy machine like you're just building like fans by putting like weird swings like this into the tv shows and like i personally love it because like i i'm a huge nerd for life and i love that there are more being fucking sucked into it so i'm like i'm like star like I, i'm throwing out like more little mini nerds to, to add them to my collection <laughs> Just shooting them out of your out of your yeah. armpits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why I got this tank top on. It really does feel like a new, uh, potentially a new kind of format. Because okay, I, you mentioned like that the preview shows like lulled us to sleep a little bit, and I agree. Like for Wandavision, it was like, oh, who is is it going to be? Is it going to be Mephisto? Who is it going to be? And then it turned out to be Agatha, who's legitimately the third character after Wanda and the Vision mm-hmm. that is introduced in the like like one of the first characters that is on the screen. And then for uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the power broker turned out to be Sharon, who was there all the time and was so obviously shady <laughs> yeah. that it almost felt like a red herring how obviously shady she was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She would just be like, hold on, let me shoot these guys just as they're about to tell you the secret. Yeah, hold on. Who's let me the put power on my, broker? I'm not sure. Yeah, let me put on my yeah. leather jacket and bring some dark liquor so you know that I'm a bad, <laughs> bad person. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then that was, you know, a lot of as as the kind of speculation kicked into high gear as we ended, as we like came towards the finale of Loki, and people were like, oh, who's you know who's who's ultimately behind the timekeepers? Who is it? Is it going to be another variant of Loki? Is it like going to be Frigga, which is my personal theory? Who is it going to be? And uh, and I kept coming to, well, there's no way it's going to be Kang because you don't introduce, you don't do that. Yeah, you like, there's yeah. no hints mm-hmm. that it's him. Like, there's no suspicion that it's him there's no you don't see his picture on the back of a screen somewhere yeah. like there's they nothing they, it's he there is no they don't seed it at, yeah. all, at all which yeah. is exciting. there's no scene yeah. where someone's like to do that you have to be some sort of conqueror like there's just like none, yeah, right? none of that <laughs> yeah. that pipeline is lady just pops up it's like yo we're about to act for 30 minutes i hope you guys are ready and what i i think what i loved about it was because and and yeah zig i think you're right like Yes, this is turning on a lot. Like how popular these things are are kind of. It's so weird, you know. Like I grew up 
you know, where nerd culture was mm-hmm. for nerds yep. and you were bullied for liking yeah. these things. And now nerd culture obviously is mm-hmm. culture, which is all of pop culture, which is, you know, great and exciting. I love that it means I get more yeah. Marvel stuff and more Star Wars and all and more of all yeah. the stuff I love, more sci-fi, more fantasy, more like I get it. Like I'm like so excited. But it's I'm, I'd be curious because they're, they're, it's such a Marvel now, the MCU mm-hmm. is is so big. It, that yes, I'm sh- I'm certain there are a lot of people who are getting turned onto the comics, but I really wonder for casual yeah. Marvel fans, mm-hmm. what does this feel like? Like, what does this like? Do, like, like when they're watching that Loki season finale, obviously it's enjoyable. Yeah. And do you get the same out of it if you have no idea that that's Kang or who Kang mm-hmm. is? Like, they have to be threading the needle of giving the casual viewer a satisfying experience and a satisfying, frankly, season finale. Yeah. Even if you're like, I don't know who Immortus is or I don't know who Kang is or I don't know about the multiverse or I don't know, I'm a casual fan. So I think that the fact that it even worked for those people is testament to like what a good job they did with mm-hmm. this show. You know, like Loki to me is, and I enjoyed WandaVision. I, I mean, I really enjoyed WandaVision. I, I, I liked Falcon and Winter Soldier, but Loki to me was like, Playing yeah. on a different yeah. level, yeah. mostly. I think mostly because it really is the tipping point for the future of the MCU, and they knew. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been we've just yelled about this for the past hour, but like it, it it's the most distilled version of what a comic book is. It's big, it's weird, it's cosmic. You're talking about like ends of time. You're talking about these abstract entities and deities that. You know, it's like we fight a giant cloud monster like that represents the end of time. And like that's what this show does. And it sticks to landing incredibly so to the point where like we can introduce the concept of like, oh, this is uh, this has been happening across infinite number of universes uh, all within the background. Uh, Thanos wasn't even like that. He was just some dude like you you want some vanity stones. We got a whole fucking drawer full of them. Like, well, let's move on to the next thing. So like what I love is that it's setting up a completely new status quo, which is also my favorite thing about comics is that like. We're going to reset this after we do like a 20 issue run and now it's done and now we're going to move on to the next thing. And I love that what this means going forward, like any story that you want narrative wise, like Marvel wrote themselves an infinite check for rope when it comes to like what they need to do. And like, I love what it opens up story story wise, narrative wise. It's going to be fantastic. And I think it's really exciting that they did it with Mm -hmm. Loki. You know, Loki is like the MCU's closest thing to like a Jamie Lannister. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like a a, ca- a character who is beloved and charming, but has gone from a villain to a good guy to existing in the gray area. They both are obsessed romantically with their twin. Uh, they are. They both. They both fall in love with an with an identical twin of their of themselves. I mean, they unambiguously in Marvel's The Avengers compared him to Hitler, like a and a, a Holocaust survivor in Germany stands up and says they have always been men <laughs> yeah, like you. Yeah. And by which I mean Hitler, who, by the way, I experienced firsthand. You are Hitler, sir. And now they have managed to turn that character into like somebody yeah. that we like. Yeah. That is and not, not only like not only like but this season of television we got like a before sunrise <laughs> rom com. We, we we not only do we like him but like we're rooting for him to have like a walk and talk with a beautiful woman and try and kiss her. I mean you're like this was a genocidal lunatic some years yeah. ago and that I think is a pretty cool feat yeah. and the fact that they were able to do it I think I think they were very smart to use Loki as the pivot yeah. point because He's beloved. Yeah. People want to watch Loki. It wasn't. I don't think they could have done this 
um, introduction of the multiverse inside of a story w- with other characters. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, yeah, benefit I, of that I, is I, also, know? like, it's a, a new Loki, a variant, obviously. So, like, you get to hit, all, it's like a greatest hits with those beats. Like, you get to see him go from bad to good within an episode. And then, like, it catches up anyone else who has not seen all the Thor movies who, like, necessarily isn't caught up on, like, Thor lore or Loki lore. And, like, you see who this character is. And it's also, it's a classic myth. Like, everyone has been reading these types of stories for since humans could 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 share speech and like it's a perfect encapsulation of like how that stuff works out with like all right we have their journey it's going to be uh, a bad guy going on like basically a road trip <laughs> with himself <laughs> a cosmic road trip and they yeah. they, they, they fucking killed it uh, they, they did a great job too of just like grounding all of these shows actually but like loki in particular grounding it in a real like deep like emotional question like mm. what does it mean to try and be a better person in a world in which your specific role requires you to never become a better person. Mm -hmm. And if you ever Mm -hmm. actually make any headway in accepting the pain that you've caused others, in trying to better yourself, in trying to be empathic and understand other people's situations, we will cull you from the, we will erase you. Mm -hmm. We will throw you into the void and you will never be seen again. That was, that's a really dark and kind of i think meaningful question for anybody who's like man how do i not be an asshole all the time yeah. like what is there a way to not do that this show is the um the inverse of the good place <laughs> yes. yeah 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 yes. you know <laughs> yeah where people are encouraged to get better and evolve and become more empathic and become better people this storyline is if you diverge and you try and be a better person or try and change the way a loki is a loki mm. you're going to get pruned you know you're going to it's over uh, you were talking about Jason, how like that you're just like a fan of this stuff. So of course you're biased. I, I am too. Like I've acknowledged my bias many times, and I think part of that is like, and the thing that fascinates me about this question is this idea that like serialized storytelling uh, through comics, that kind of style of storytelling is like merging with TV in interesting ways. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is like, if I'm reading a comic book. And I am turning the page. I'm like, who is this villain? Who is this hooded villain? Whatever. And then at the end, they take off their hood and it's like Ultron or someone I never expected. In the comic books, I'm like, yo, I get that. I, that I, I'm buying the next issue. I understand this is a setup. This is fine. In television, that never really happens. And we're so programmed by the various structures of storytelling that are very common that stuff that when you really think about it, that is actually kind of weird and strange, feels very normal. For instance, like if you watch yeah. a Marvel movie with a kid and there's that opening scene where it's like, you know, there's some heist going on and then like somebody says mysteriously, hey, do you have the thing? Yes, I have it. I'll inform the master. Does he know? Yes, he knows. Like if you watch it with a kid, the kid's like, what's, what's happening? What, what are they talking? Whereas you understand they're going to tell me what this is. I don't need mm. to know anything yeah. about this. I understand that this is set up for a thing that happens later. So mm. it really feels like they're through these various flexes of we are the biggest like storytelling engine in entertainment right now. They're actually creating these weird new pockets and styles of storytelling. Mm. What Here's what they're doing, I think. This is, and which is interesting. I wonder if this is purposeful or if this is just kind of um, how they run, yeah. which is... They have successfully, Kevin Feige, I'll I'll put this at Kevin Feige's feet. I think Kevin Feige has successfully trained the public to watch uh, Marvel movies to, and at the very beginning, 
was they were comic book movies, right. but they didn't operate like comic yeah. books. Right. Mm. right. They were just the characters from your comics in a story. Sometimes those stories were pulled loosely from comic book arcs or something like that. But really, they stood alone unto themselves until they were connected, and they connected in very clean ways, right? For that first 10 years, for phase one, phase two, that's what it is. Phase three, and now especially phase four, the MCU and comics movies are feeling more like yeah. comics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, when sometimes, you know, you'll pick up a comic. Uh, I'll read, a, I'll pick up a Spider-Man Thank issue, you. and I'll be like, suddenly... He's wearing like a different suit and he has like and and and, and someone's dead. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what did I miss? I read this every month. And someone is like, oh, there is a six issue miniseries in which in which Aunt May died and something. You have to go read that. And that's what they're doing now in their properties. Uh, over across mm-hmm. platforms. So if when we come back and Ant Man and the Wasp, or, or when Kang variants yeah. start yeah. showing up in Doctor Strange and and Ant Man and the Wasp, when Kang starts showing up, there's going to be a lot of people who didn't watch yeah, Loki, like, what? but who yeah. watched, but who watch all the movies, who are like, who's that guy? <laughs> and people are going to have to be like, oh, he was introduced in Loki, blah blah blah, and that's yeah. comics. Yeah. That is the that is how we process comics. Important things happen not always in the mainline mm-hmm. book. Sometimes it happens in the offshoots or one-offs or in an annual you might not have read, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that's that's absolutely 100% how it works and like I love that they're at this I mean for better or for worse like I know people have thoughts about that especially if you're reading a bunch of books at the same time a month but like I do love the thrill of the page turn like and that's exactly what it captures like the end of a after end of like you know a run on Spider-Man you're like all right see like they'll have like oh doc op you'll see like a claw and like in silhouette you're like oh is he gonna be like the next big bad that shows up in the next run of Spider-Man like that's exactly what's capturing with with these MCU shows and they're they're just constantly making it possible so smartly in a way that I think the DC uh, films mm-hmm. have failed. They've smartly like they're walking their audience into more and more complex storytelling and bringing them along for the ride. Yeah. They're not just dumping this huge audience into the deep end. Like they're on, you know, this has been going on since, you know, so this is 20 years yeah. in. You know, like you couldn't have done Loki, the TV show in 2012. You couldn't have done, you know what I mean? Like you couldn't have, you couldn't have introduced Kang at the, it wouldn't work really, you know, um, to have such an important figure occur in, in movie five or something like that. This is to introduce the multiverse. You needed 20 years Mm -hmm. of runway to be like, now everything's possible. And this is really what sets up uh, what if, which is the animated anthology series currently running on Disney plus. Mm -hmm. Which I want to say, if there are people out there who are thinking, I don't love cartoons, or cartoons feel like the, they sometimes people yeah. think like, oh, those must be for kids. Right. Those must be like the Marvel kid. Like, and I'm telling you, watch What If. It's so good. The action is so good. First of all, the animation style is, it's gorgeous, mm-hmm. beautiful. Like, I want to what look fall into every single panel oh yeah on top of that like the animation 
of the action mm-hmm. is so seamless and smooth. I don't. I, it is there. There's one scene in the in the first episode where uh, Peggy Carter becomes, uh, you know, infused with the super soldier serum and she becomes Captain Peggy Carter, uh, where she like jumps through the canopy of a German bomber mm-hmm. using the shield, yep. and it yeah. is like pulse pounding yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's great. That 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 episode and the second episode, the Chadwick mm-hmm. Boseman, what if T'Challa was Star-Lord episode. Incredible. Incredible fight sequences. The the yeah, the animation is like straight mm-hmm. out of the gate incredible, I think. Yeah. I know I've read other places that people don't love it. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally into it. Um, I, I really am. I think, I mean, I have a few little nitpicks here and there, but most of those are because, again, I think the things that I'm nitpicking are the things that I'm nitpicking because I'm a super mm. fan. But I suspect for a casual fan, it has to yeah. run this way. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, and and I understand that. I think, I think for such, again, again, for what could have been a toss-off animated show for kids like what if because uh, what if we should say i don't know mm-hmm. if you've already talked about it forgive me if this is r- repeat information but what if is based on the um is based on the comics yeah. what mm-hmm. if in which they take traditional um marvel storylines and flip it yeah. on its yeah. head so what if gwen stacy had lived right. or what you know like what if, and so they'll basically use it as an opportunity to tell a one-off story uh or a or a little chunk mm-hmm. of a story in a world in which the circumstances were totally mm-hmm. different, right? Um, and those are, they're fun. They're like Twilight Zone episodes of the MCU, kind of. Is that yeah. the, Yes, yeah, yeah. I that think that like that's exactly correct. Explanation? That's exactly correct. Yeah. And so the, the TV show is a, uses that as a jumping off point, but they're, they're wedding it to their new introduction yep. of the multiverse at mm-hmm. the end of Loki. So, so these aren't just kind of fantastical, hyper, hypothetical, like, what if this happened? They're saying these are the events of the multiverse. So there is mm-hmm. a universe in which T'Challa was taken, not Peter Quill. Or Peggy Carter was turned into Captain Carter instead of Steve Rogers. Like, So they're saying uh, through the character of Uatu the Watcher, played by Jeffrey Wright, they're saying all of the multiverse is now available to us. Let's tell stories inside mm-hmm. of that. That's yeah. cool. It's That's dope as fuck. Cool. And also it gives yeah. you like the possibility of like, yeah, maybe we loved. Maybe we want to see more of Captain Carter, so we're just going to spin out to like her own TV show, or like, yeah. Well, you know what they said? They said that every season of What If will have another installment of Captain oh, Carter. Dope. Oh, really? That's dope. Oh, wow, that's yeah. actually great. Because I was like, where's the, so that, where's the other 70 minutes of this show yeah. when she pops so out? That, in exactly. Because that, I will say, that is my only complaint. Right. My only complaint is there, I feel like they're trying to fit movie-length yeah. mm-hmm. plots yeah. into 30-minute yeah, yeah. shows. Yeah. And my feeling is, no, 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 don't don't think you need to adhere so much to the... But this, again, I think is them walking their audience mm-hmm. into that more complex idea. Because I think there's a lot of people probably being like, what the fuck's yeah. going on? Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, Jason Manzoukas, thank you for uh, walking into the debut episode of X-Ray Vision. It has been a pleasure to I have you. thrilled to be... Jason... There's nothing I want more in the oh. world than listening oh. to you. I've missed it in my life, talking about pop culture, talking about the stuff that we both love. Yes, I get to text with you and rant and <laughs> rave about it, which I adore. 
But it makes me so happy uh, that you're doing this show, and I cannot wait to smash the subscribe button <laughs> so and much, listen to it every week. Can't wait to have you back. Zig then. and Zig, what a what oh, a delight a pleasure, to see brother. you. So fun, so great, so funny. I love it. Thanks for having me. Welcome to our end game segment, uh, where we play a game at the end of the episode. That's right. It's a very clever title. Today's game is who's your Neville or who's your Gollum. Uh, this is a reference to Neville Longbottom from Harry Potter and uh, Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Who is the character that is seemingly on the outside, not really that important, kind of like on the edge of the story, but then all of a sudden at the very end, uh, they they take the sword of Gryffindor and they slay the snake, or they become the only way that Frodo can get away from the ring. Like they become vital in the final moment in that final fight when everybody steps out of the portals against Kang. What ca- so the characters will be from only these Disney Plus shows that we've talked about today: WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki. And Zig, who is your Neville or who is your Gollum? I. It was a hard decision. I yeah. I think I think I'm going to put my money on Wiccan. I think. Oh, I, I, this is good. I think it's going to be a it's going to be a long walk to get there. It's a long payoff. It's going to take a couple of movies and a couple of TV shows. But I think <laughs> I think they're going to be like Wiccan. You're the only you and and Kid Loki are they're going to come together and like you're the one that's going to defeat him through the power of friendship or love. I'm putting it on him because we haven't had a big magical a big magical fight yet. A big magical like send up. So like. I, I, I money's all on Wiccan, baby. I'm going all in. I love that. I'm gonna. I'm going to. Uh, man, I'm gonna use. I'm just gonna repurpose my Tyler Hayward <laughs> is the progenitor of the Sentinels mm-hmm. theory, and I'm gonna say it is director Tyler Hayward of Sword. The sentient weapon <laughs> observation and response division. Uh, his interest in thinking machines that are also weapons leads me mm-hmm. to believe that maybe he will create a program of thinking robots that uh, whose only mission is to kill people with powers. Um, in that case, he would be my golem. Uh, and hopefully he is also the key to dismantling those robots too in the future, if should they come to arise. Uh, those are our answers. Who are your answers? Feel free to hit us up on social media and watch this space. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to uh, the debut episode of X-Ray Vision. Uh, check us out wherever you get your podcast. Zig, it's been fantastic hanging out with you. Thanks for having me, brother. Always a fan. Love that you're back in the nerd game. Not that you ever really loved, but I, I, I'm stoked. Thanks for having me, man. Let's go! X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself, Jason Concepcion, and Sandy Gerard. Caroline Reston, rest in peace, and Carlton Gillespie are our consulting producers, and our editing and sound design is by Sarah Gibble-Laska. And the good folks at Chapter 4, thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.